Next Sunday, we'll gather in another gym. It will not be this gym. It will be a smaller gym. It will be the church gym on Maiden Lane as we finish renovation of our sanctuary. And it is our hope and desire that we would be in the sanctuary at the end of September. But these next week or two, we'll be telling toward that. It seems, things seem to be looking to be keeping that pace. Next Sunday, we will be in a church gym and we'll have a shortened worship service because we'll also then travel down on this first Sunday up on Maiden Lane. We'll come back down off the hill, go down to Wasina Park and have a river baptism. Um, that will be next week. Next week, we'll not be in the Psalms. Next week, we'll be beginning the Gospel of Luke for a season together. It was this time last year that we began Mark's Gospel as we were praying and discerning um, a vote into a church merger. And as we continue to desire to shine the light of Jesus in knowing and following him, we're going to follow Luke and his account. He wrote to dear Theophilus that he would have certainty concerning the things that you've been taught. And so as this new season begins for us, we want to have gospel certainty. We can never lap back through the gospels too much. And so we will begin a series called Gospel Certainty next week. But for July and August of this summer, we've been in the Psalms, one of the most treasured books by young and old alike. Probably you have favorite Psalms of yours. These Old Testament songs that sing of God's redemption through the ages, both of his redemption of his people in the past, but also they were prophetic to look forward to the one who would come to redeem us. There's not an experience that we can have in life where the Psalms do not speak to that and give us words to pray and sing triumphant anthems of faith and cries of lament and pleas for help, choruses of praise. They teach us how to pray. They teach us how to worship, how to sing loud to our Lord, how to live humbly and honestly before Him. So have you treasured the Psalms, not only this summer, but for all of your life? I found one kind of ranking here. According to Google searches um, back in 2014, these are the most popular psalms sought out on this search engine. Psalm 23, shepherd psalm. Psalm 91 was second, the, psalm, the one psalm of Moses. Psalm 27, Psalm 121, look to the hills, where does my help come from? Psalm 139, he, he's knit me together in my mother's womb. That's one through five. What is your favorite psalm? I've told you that Psalm 16 is one of my favorites. And I've restrained from even preaching it this summer. Because I think there's been others that we need to kind of open up and look at. Psalm 33, we began in July. A call to corporate worship. Shout for joy in the Lord, all you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Praise befits the uprights. The next week, Psalm 19, we looked at the revelation of God in both his creation and then his word. This common revelation that everyone has and then his special revelation to know him as Lord. Because the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims its handiwork. The next week we went to Psalm 37. Don't fret over evildoers, but follow the Lord in meekness. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and befriend faithfulness. Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 63 was the next week where we followed David into the wilderness of Judah. Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. 
Oh, if we could praise and praise like that. We're, we can be in the wilderness, but it is God that we want. Christian, open up Psalm 70 to look at poverty across the scriptures. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great, but I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. And then last week we were in Psalm 78. We should never forget God's work. Because if we forget our redemption, our love and our faith will fade, but instead we are to teach our children. We will not hide them from our children, but tell to the coming generation the glorious deeds of the Lord and his might and the wonders that he has done so that they should set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. A psalm that I prayed over Anna Kate Driver this week in the hospital. A psalm that I look forward to just meeting. Um, little Williams baby here. They're sitting around here somewhere. The Williams. Uh, you guys are waiting any day now. And you just hold a little one. It's just peace. Life is swirling. You just hold a, an infant. Today we come to Psalm 100. We finally get to a triple digit psalm. A psalm of giving thanks. The author is not identified. Psalm 100, a psalm of giving thanks. There's, not, there's many psalms that give thanks. Psalm 9 is one of personal worship. I will give thanks to the Lord with my, my whole heart. Psalm 30 looks at corporate worship. Sing praises to the Lord. O oh, you, his saints, give thanks to his holy name. Psalm 57 takes us to the nations. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations. So our thanksgiving goes out in missional witness. We give thanks because of God's character. Psalm 118. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His steadfast love endures forever. But today, Psalm 100, Old 100, is the only one with a title said, a psalm for giving thanks. There's many psalms that give thanks, but this is the only one entitled a psalm for giving thanks. And so are we thankful today? For what are you thankful? Why are you thankful? This psalm is going to tell us that those who know the Lord will worship him with joy and thanksgiving. Those who know the Lord will worship him in joy and thanksgiving. Let's read it together. Psalm 100, a psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him, bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. His faithfulness to all generations. This is the word of the Lord, inspired by his Holy Spirit written by a psalmist that we do not know. And it's been passed down and translated in our language. And it's going to accomplish its purpose in our lives. Praise be to God. 
This is a short psalm. It's one stanza, not the 72 verses we had last week in Psalm 78. But these are not like, when, you're, when you use fewer words, you've got to be more concentrated. You've got to be more intentional with every word. And so there's, this is a familiar psalm. You've heard this psalm. We did Psalm 95 in our call to worship, which echoes many of the themes in Psalm 100. But each of these words is crafted and chiseled beautifully in the revelation of God. There's probably a couple different ways we can structure our our view of this, but this is how we're going to approach this psalm with three different movements. There's a triple imperative to call to worship, a universal call to worship. We then come to the hinge point of the middle imperative, the central imperative to know that the Lord, He is God. And then we're going to end with the triple imperative, a covenant call to worship. Seven commands in five verses. Three, one, three. And that middle one, that middle one is the one we've got to get right if we're going to do the, the book in three, six. Are you familiar with the psalm? May the Lord meet us in this psalm and show us himself that we may worship with joy and thanksgiving. Come with me to verse 1. We make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Three commands. This is our first triple imperative. Make, or your NIV will say shout for joy. Two is serve, or your King James is going to say um, worship, or your NIV is going to say worship, and then three is come. But before we figure out what we're to do, I want to know who's to do it. Who is commanded here in this first triple imperative to do these three actions? And it's right there in verse one, all the earth. All the earth. This is a universal call to worship. Everybody, everywhere, at all times, is to worship the Lord. Psalm 33, our first psalm that we looked at in the summer. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of Him. But they do not but we still sing and pray this anyhow because God is worthy and God will be worshiped by all. So the call goes out to all the earth. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Worship the Lord with gladness. Serve Him. Come into His presence with singing. Now what are these actions? If everyone is to do this, let's look at them. Make a joyful noise to the Lord or shout. When we see that word, you think, is this just some primal yell? No one's like, rah! Like during our first two songs. But it's a loud gladness. This is not get in the woods and yell at a tree. This is get before your God and get loud because he's worthy. Are we making a joyful noise loudly? Our volume of our voice can reveal the volume of our joy. When we're excited about something, everyone around us knows. 
I sat beside one of my kids on Thursday night at our twins' first volleyball game of the season. Loud shouts were coming from beside me. We were excited to see them playing in their first game of the season. The volume of our joy will be seen sometimes in the volume of our voice. But sometimes we come in to worship with low volume. So what would be, why do we come in low volume sometimes? Well, the song we may be singing is maybe a little more reflective, contemplative, just quiet. And so we'll, just, we'll sing, but we're not like doing loud gladness. It's more soul reflection. We're being still and knowing that he's God. Psalm 46.10. But what are maybe some other reasons that we are low volume? Where we're here to sing, shout for joy, but we're so worried about life that we're getting strangled up with anxiety that we can't even get the volume out because we're so worried about life that we're strangled up and can't sing out to our God who is faithful and loving. We don't, we go low volume sometimes too because what's gonna happen, what are people gonna think about me if I like raise my hands or clap off beat or try to sing really loud? Maybe I don't have as good enough voice. That's pride. You're worried about your personal pride and so we don't sing out. Oh, I'm not really into that song. I'll wait and see if the next one's a little better. Well, there's a cultural pride there that some songs are worthy of praising or not. As long as they are biblically anchored and true to the character and work of God, let's sing out. Or maybe we go low volume or even to silence because we're really not that inspired or that impressed by God. You know, I thought I was pretty cool when I was a teenager in church. Like, we had our hymn books, I'd open up, and I would lip sync it all. Because I know if somebody looked down there, oh, at least my lips would be moving. But I wasn't going to sing. I don't want you to hear my voice. I did, I was, my voice is cracking. I'm changing. As a, I don't want to sing out. That's not cool. But he's worthy. Sing praises to the Lord. Shout and make a joyful noise. This is not a primal yell. It's a loud gladness. And our volume of our voice can reveal the volume of our joy. Second command, serve. The English Standard Version, King James says serve. NIV says worship the Lord with gladness. And I think that's very curious, isn't it? That one translation in our language will say serve, and the other one says worship. And if you do a study, there is the work and worship. There's actually a connotation in this one word. We separate out work and worship as different activities, but this word is serve the Lord with gladness. It takes work to worship. It takes work to wake up early to get up to a gym and set it up. Jim Eaton, Danny Minix, Riker clan, we were setting this up this morning. It took work to wake up early to get here. And we've done it for seven years in this gym. Not counting the three years prior at the Duma Center and the one year prior at St. Elizabeth's. We have been lifting and moving. It has been work. 
Kurt did a little math this morning. I mean, sometimes we'll, occasionally we'll have a snow out. Occasionally we'll meet at the park because there's a racquetball tournament here. But seven years, times 50, 350 Sundays in this gym. Times that by two because there's a setup and a teardown. 700 setup teardowns. Kurt knows a little bit of how much our stuff weighs, and he would say that that's a little over 1,000 tons that we've moved, or 1.2.1 or million pounds. Serve the Lord with gladness. Who wants to be on the setup team? Kurt's like woohooing back there because we got a little bit more setup though. We, we got to do a couple more weeks in a church gym. It takes work to prepare music, prepare a children's lesson. It takes work to welcome a newcomer. It takes work to wake up and get here by 10 a.m. to start. Oh, Derek, now you're hitting low now. I know, but like we get to a time, we get to appointments on time and work and school, but church would have slide on in. Serve the Lord with gladness. Worship is a service to the Lord. It takes work to worship. And this is why we have a worship service and not a worship experience. An experience is, ooh, I'm here. What can I feel? You got my needs? You're going to meet my needs? Is that coffee going to be good? Is that chair going to be comfy? Am I going to be greeted the right way? These are all things that we need to give attention to. But if we come in here for an experience, we're already at the place where the focus is on ourselves. We're here for a service. A worship service. You're here to not even think about yourself, but look to the interests of others first. If you have the mind of Christ, Philippians 2, who took the nature of a servant, who didn't come to be served, but to serve. We're here to serve the Lord with gladness. We're here to serve one another in ministry. We're here to serve with gladness, work, and worship. Come into his presence with singing, the third command. We gather together with the people of God for the worship of God. Come into his presence with singing. Let's not neglect meeting together, but to commit ourselves to worship. It's not a law. We're not taking attendance. Nobody's going to get a perfect attendance award at the end of this year. But this is a call to corporate worship because God is worthy and church is important. Show me a churchless Christian, a churchless Christian. Now, sometimes we're churchless because we've just moved or we're in transition. But if the state of our, of our life is that we are perpetually churchless, I will show you a Christian who's not reading their Bible. I will show you a Christian who is starved of the means of grace that God has given. I will show you a Christian who perhaps has pride in their personal spirituality. Corporate worship can only happen in a church. Community and mission, because it's not good for us to be alone, can only happen in a church. Sanctification, getting together and rubbing shoulders with fellow sinners, conflict and, uh, and offenses, and that can only happen in a church. Do we love the church? Are we committed to coming to a church? 
I love the church, but Jesus, save me from your followers. No, 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 Jesus said, I love this church. I obtained it with my own blood. So disciples of Jesus love what Jesus loves, and if Jesus loves the church, we got to learn to love the church. This may not be the local church for you, but some churches, and so we cannot be perpetually churchless Christians, grazers. Come into God's presence, the command says. Well, this is odd because Psalm 139, number five, according to Google, says that where can we go from your spirit? If I go to the heights, you're there. If I go to Sheol, you're there. If I go over, wherever I go, you're there. God is omnipresent. So what does it mean to come into his presence? It speaks of God's manifest presence here on earth. God is everywhere, but where is he manifesting glory? And for generations, it was, a couple generations, it was a tabernacle being hoisted around a wilderness up into the promised land. Generations after that, it was a temple. That temple was destroyed. It was rebuilt. It was there again at the temple. But where is the manifest presence of God here on earth? It's no longer a place, friends. There's no longer actually a temple address. There is a temple people, the church. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Stones being put to, living stones being put together in a spiritual household come into his presence with singing. Where's the manifest presence of God? It's in the church. So how can we be faithful in worship if we are churchless? All seven, not only the first three that we've done, but all the seven imperatives, all the seven commands of this psalm are plural. You all make a joyful noise. You all sing out, bless his name. You cannot do this in private spirituality. You're gonna, if you're, you cannot do Psalm 100 on your own. All the earth make a joyful noise, serve, come. But for whom? God, of course. More specifically, if you look here in your Bible, the Lord, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. This is the covenant name of God, the God of Israel. The I am who I am, Yahweh. So this is a universal call. All the earth, but it's still particular to Yahweh. All the earth. You don't get to choose and pick your own gods. It's Yahweh, Jehovah, the Lord, whom we are to worship. Universalism would say, just pick your own path. Because all the paths go to God anyway. Just, yeah, we'll all worship God. And so the story goes of the blind men who were approaching an elephant, the old parable to like really bolster up universalism. And so one blind man holds, grabs the tail, and so God is like a rope. Another blind man hugs the, the leg, and so like he's like a tree trunk. It feels the, his ears like he's like a fan. Oh, but it's all just one elephant, it's just all one God. That's all garbage. God is unique. God reveals himself. We don't get to pick our path to him. He reveals himself to us. The God of Israel, the Lord, is the one true living God. 
And this is the revelation of the Holy Scripture. Prophecies of old, the songs of the Psalter, New Testament ministry. People from all peoples will come and worship the Lord. The psalmist is not before his time, but he is revealing the plan of God for all time. Israel was God's chosen people, but from Israel will come the blessing to all the nations. Will come the Redeemer King, the King of all peoples. Triple imperative. Do you make a joyful noise to the Lord? Do you serve the Lord with gladness? Are we coming into his presence with singing? Verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are the sheep, we are the, his people and the sheep of his pasture. This is the middle imperative. This is the central imperative. This is number four of seven in this psalm. No. You all know. All of you know that the Lord, he is God. See, this is not now telling us what we're to do for worship. This is saying, how can we even worship? See, we were trying to figure out what is the activity. We're singing and we're coming and so forth. Number four here, this middle imperative says, how can we even worship? It's from knowing that the Lord is God. No. And yet it's to our great angst and to so much of the energy of our life that we are spending all of our time and energy and resources trying to know ourselves. The command is to know God, but we're trying to always, who am I? Try to know myself. And not only know myself, but project and promote an image of myself. Because I want you to know me more than I want you to know God. And so our teens will connect on Snapchat. Our millennials will gather on Instagram. Old fogies like myself and older will we'll still hang on to Facebook. And the greatest generation will realize it's not that great at all. In our bios and our LinkedIns, well, let me tell you about myself. Here's my Myers-Briggs. I'll tell you my disc. The cool one now, I'll tell you my Enneagram, Strength Finders. I'll tell you an online quiz that I have on which Hogwarts house I belong to, which Marvel hero I am. We'll do everything we can because we're trying to know ourselves. If I can know myself, then life will be fulfilling. But if I don't know myself, then life will be, heaven forbid, boring. Are we still searching to know ourselves? I mean, at 26 years old, we're still trying to learn how to adult. You know what John Calvin was doing at age 26? Writing a first draft of the Institutes of the Christian Religion. Listen to these words. These are the beginning words of this volume, which is just nearly all wisdom we possess, that is to say true and sound wisdom, consists of two parts, the knowledge of God and ourselves. Man, humankind, never attains to a true knowledge until he has previously contemplated the face of God and come down after such contemplation to look into himself. This is how the Institutes of the Christian Religion began, and that was his first 
This is a draft that he began when he was age 26. What is he saying? We're so busy trying to know ourselves, and he's saying you can't even know yourself unless you know God first. Go and behold the face of God. Then come back down and take a look at yourself. We cannot truly know ourselves until we truly know God. But if we truly know God, then we can understand who we are. That we're sinners desperately in need of grace. That because of the redemption of Christ, that we are adopted in his family. Who we are gets to be defined by God and not by some inner or self or cultural reasons. The question is not, do you know yourself? The question is, do you know the Lord God? The psalmist commands us to know the Lord God. And here are the reasons why. The Lord God is creator. It is he who made us, and we are his. I'm not self-existent. I have a birthday. I am not pre-eternal. I can't, apart from thing, air, water, I can't exist on my own. I am created and dependent upon my creator, the Lord God who is creator. For by him, Colossians says, by all, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. That is the Lord God. Second reason that the psalmist gives us, the Lord God is our Redeemer. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. He's not a distant deity. He's close in leading us and caring for us like a shepherd. He's personal. He's caring. He's close. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my Father knows me. And my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay my life down for the sheep. See, do you know the Lord God? Have you contemplated the face of God as Calvin would tell us? Who is this creator and redeemer? Who is this good shepherd? One of our core verses at City Light. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown into our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face you're contemplating the face of God in the face of Jesus Christ. See, even here in Psalm 100, old hundredth, if we see it as part of the canonical revelation of God, Jesus is here. Jesus is the creator of Colossians 1. Jesus is the good shepherd of John 10. Jesus is the Lord God of Psalm 100, verse 3. To know Jesus is to then know ourselves and know our need of Him and how our desires are only fulfilled in Him. I lay down my life for the sheep. Where is the manifest presence of God? It was the fullness of the deity bodily dwelling, the Lord Jesus Christ, the temple here on earth. Everything the temple was pointing to was Jesus. And he was here with us on earth, could be touched, seen, 
learned from, built things from wood, and we crucified him. But not as a victim of history. He laid down his life, died in our place, so that we could know the Lord God and worship him. He died in our place that our sins may be forgiven. And do you know him? See, the universal call of worship is everybody worship the Lord God. But we can only do this if we know him. Who is the Lord God? And this is the covenant call for relationship. To know that the Lord God is Christ himself. Jesus of Nazareth. This is the central command of this psalm. These are not used casually, but a careful precision and a maximum significance crafted with a chiseled brevity, says one. Look at verses 4 and 5 of this short psalm. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. The other triple imperative to now end this out in a covenant call to worship. All the earth is called to worship the Lord, but we can only do this if we know the Lord. Now if we know the Lord, this is how we worship. We enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Once again, this is the picture of the temple, but the temple's no longer here. So is this invalid? No, because Jesus was the temple that was destroyed and rebuilt on the third day. And we now, his people, are filled with his spirit. The church is where the manifest presence of God here is here on earth. God is everywhere. Go on a walk. Go up the mountain, go out and see it, and behold that the heavens declare his glory. But if you want to be where the manifest presence of God is here on earth, it's in the church. The church doesn't save you, but the church should be lifting up high Jesus so that many more are drawn into him and know that Jesus saves. So how do we enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise? Come to church. Be a part of a church. And do so with thanksgiving and praise. The second command here in this last triple imperative, give thanks to Him. What are you thankful for today? Rejoice. 10,000 reasons we'll sing. All creatures of our God, we're going to end with counting every blessing. These are not just songs to sing, this is actions to do. What are we thankful for today? That he would save me? Let us never forget our redemption like those of generations past. Psalm 78 tells us, if we forget our redemption, faith and love will dim. Thankful for salvation in Christ. Where would I be today apart from Christ? What would I have if I didn't have the Spirit of God indwelling me? What would my soul feel like if your spirit, please, Holy Spirit, take not your present spirit from me, he cries out in Psalm 51. He's blessed us with the spirit. He's given us community together with fellow believers. We have family, friendships, new babies, legacies of faith, a new season of life and ministry together in our church. Count every blessing. If we come to the place of thanksgiving and it's like, and we're just pausing and pondering, and it should be 10,000 reasons and more and more. Oh, but Derek, you don't know all that I'm suffering through. I know. 
And that's why we look to Jesus who is one who sympathizes with us in our weaknesses and and loves us in our sorrows and and carries us through and we can cast all of our cares upon him. But we have things we can always be thankful for because a grateful heart is a glad heart. Bless his name. Bless his name, O my soul. Why? For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Just look at this last verse. Who is the Lord? He's good. His love is steadfast. It never fails. It endures forever. The Lord is faithful. As he was in generations past, so he will be in this generation. We change. We better be changing. Pray, Lord, and change us to make us more like Christ. But God never changes. And Jesus is the Lord God. The same yesterday, today, and forever. But my question is, do you know Him? Because that's the central command here. That's the hinge. Do we know Him? This short psalm has seven imperatives, which are plural. Knowing and worshiping the Lord is not something we do by ourselves. It's something we do all together. We'll have private and personal devotion. We'll have steal away time to pray into the Father, even as we saw Jesus do. But He's saved a church. And are we committed to one another in church community? This compact psalm has a, an intentional progression, a universal call to worship, but we can only worship the Lord if we know the Lord. And if we know the Lord, we'll enter His, thing, his courts, His gates with thanksgiving and praise. Oh, where is that? That's the church. So we're going from universal to knowing God to now living in church community together. Are we committed to one another, to knowing and worshiping the Lord Jesus together? This is our purpose together, to shine the light of Jesus in knowing and following Him. But we will shine no light and we will wander aimlessly if we do not know Him. Again, this was on your logo, on the sign, knowing Jesus. And as our stories are written together, it's still the same mission. It's still the same call, knowing Jesus. Do you know him? Don't know about him. Psalm 78 told us you can know him in one generation. The next one will just know about him, and the next one will forget him. Do we know him? Not an idea of Jesus, not some knowledge of Jesus. Do you know him? And if you truly know him, you will follow. And when it gets tough and the teachings are hard, he's going to look around and he's like, you're going to leave too? Where are we going to go? you got the words of life, Jesus. This is a hard eat of your flesh and drink. I don't, okay, we're going to go with this. Because where else are we going to go unless we follow you? You have the words of life. And if we know and follow Jesus, then we will shine. I know we wanted to shine, and that's city light, let's shine. We're only going to shine if we know Jesus. And if we know him, we will follow. And then if we follow, then we will subsequently and necessarily shine. And then in shining, we get to keep knowing him more. This is our story that's now been written together. A church that was many decades old. It's a hundred-year-old church, Gant Grace Brethren Church, knowing Jesus. 
I can go many different places. I've been many places in this valley and talked to many people who've known people who've got married there, who got taught the Bible there, who came to saving faith there. And they're excited to see that ministry is continuing on in knowing Jesus. Another congregation, City Light Church, began in a Raleigh Court home in 2008. We quickly moved to an Episcopal church on Sunday evenings just to do dinner together and worship together. We're not Episcopal. Love Episcopals. We got out of the church and went to the Dumas Center across the bridge. And for three years, plugged everything in and worshiped the Lord, trying to figure out what the Lord is doing here. In the summer of 2012, we were given one month's notice. We had to find a new home. There wasn't a lot of pastoring happening that month. I was pounding a lot of pavement, knocking on a lot of doors. And the YMCA opened it up for us to come in here. Our very first Sunday here, we met in a ballet room with like a, a six-foot ceiling and mirrors on the wall. The very next Sunday, we were in the gym where they told us we wouldn't be able to. And for some time, we just worshiped on this side, and this partition came down. And daring young men, such as Daniel Bowman and others, would climb up a ladder, and beyond OSHA recommendations, would be dangling to hang this screen from this thing. We worshiped here. And then we worshiped that way, and we worshiped this way. And it's been Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. It's okay. We're a people, not a place. But the Lord has now merged us together, and we're now going up the hill together to shine the light of Jesus and knowing and following Him. Knowing Jesus will make us glad and thankful worshipers. Psalm 100. What do you learn today in church? That knowing Jesus will make us glad, will make us joyful and thankful worshipers. I know, but what are you supposed to do in life? Know Jesus. I know, but how's that going to change? Knowing Jesus changes everything, brother. It just, knowing Jesus is going to change everything. And so make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness to all generations. Even ours. Let's pray.